Lord, we just come to you right now, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, Lord, we come here, frail humans, made out of dust, but we want to praise you because you created us. We want to return the thanksgiving to you. And we want to cry out and bring our petitions to you and lay our burdens at your feet. Lord, we know you're in control of everything. We think of these people right now that are that are just about get, to get hit by this hurricane. Lord, we pray for your mercy. We play, pray for a miracle. Lord, would you do something miraculous? And Lord, would you use this to draw people, men and women and children, to yourself? Lord, just extend your hand of mercy, we pray. Lord, we also pray for wisdom as the Kingdom Channels teams go out and as they minister. Lord, thank you for the training that they've put out. And I pray they would use it for your glory. And I pray you'd give them safety. You'd give them um, purpose and uh, just show them their way. Also for the people in Afghanistan, Lord, the many Christians who are going to be persecuted, the many people that are trying to get out right now with the deadline looming. Lord, I just pray that you would make a way. You'd send your angels and you would do mighty works. And Lord, send confusion to the enemy. And Lord, send send visions that they would see Jesus. Lord, also for the Sego family, I pray that you would just be with them right now with all these health issues. Lord, would your mercy and your grace be with them and guide them. Lord, also for little Liam Beach, we've been praying for so long. Lord, I just ask you that you would relieve him of his pain. Give them grace to walk through this in peace. And Lord, also, I just want to lift up my brother Bob. I just pray your spirit would be upon him this morning as he preaches. Pray you clear his mind from anything that is from this world and his own flesh. Lord, help him to speak your words. Just give him your thoughts and uh, lead and just help it to come out in, in such a way that is uh, your words and, and ministers to each one here. Lord, we want your Holy Spirit. Mm. We want you to be among us. And we want each one here to hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. That was actually a very useful, needed prayer. Brothers, you get prepared for a sermon. You feel like... The Lord's behind it. I, I just preached here recently, and um, it was a bit of a struggle, quite honestly, uh, trying to get everything that I wanted to say. And then, of course, uh, when I get up there, it's only only could preach like maybe 70% of it. And then I was like, okay, fine, I'll just just go over the last couple of pages here real quick. And uh, I just feel like it wasn't a completed sermon. This one, however, just flowed. And I thought, oh, I'm great. I'm ready. This is this, you know, thank you, Lord. This is, this is truly my heart. This is what I want to preach. I, the, the, you know, God, you're, you're, you're so good. And then I blew it this morning in the flesh and just, just reacted out of anger when I shouldn't have and, and feel, um, brothers, do you ever feel disqualified when you come up here? I'm disqualified. So I appreciate that prayer. I saw it and I think I've received forgiveness from those that were offended. Um, but if any of my other children were in the hallway when uh, when I did blow it, then I need your forgiveness and I need your prayers because this is this is too much of me here. I don't want to be here. I want to get out of the way. In the mornings, my family and I uh, we've kind of ran out of a few of the of the bean books, um, and we've, we're looking at some other devotions. There's a devotion from the mid to late 1800s. That we've been reading out of, and boy, they have some really neat words in there. Uh, but we we hit this one. The idea of this of this particular devotional is kind of interesting. It's called Faith's Checkbook, and what it says is that the Lord has given us blessings, just as if somebody has given us a check. We take the check, we flip it over, we endorse it. We believe when that check comes to us that that person has written out the amount of money that is in their account. This is a, an honest pledge. To us, we take that check, we write on the back of it our name, saying that we believe this, and we take it to the bank, and the bank checks it. Now, a little the the fellow who wrote this book, he he puts it this way: sometimes you take a check to the bank, and they go, "Well, yeah, it's a good check and everything, except for the date's wrong," and that's kind of how it is for some of the promises that we have in the Bible. This promise is true. This this we believe that the one who gave this promise has everything in his account to be able to make it, uh, and we can endorse it. But sometimes we just have to wait for his timing. So he goes through promises in this devotional, this little short writings. And, uh, and one morning last week, when I was, uh, I asked God, I think just the night before, Lord, just been asked to preach again. What, what do you want? What do you want? I don't want to just uh, bring old manna up here. I want what you want. And uh, well, the very next morning was this particular devotion. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity, even purity of the heart, is the main thing to be aimed at. We need to be made clean within through the Spirit and the Word, and then we shall be clean without by consecration and obedience. There is a close connection between the affections and the understanding. If we love evil, we cannot understand that which is good. If the heart is foul, the eye will be dim. How can those men see a holy God who love unholy things? What a privilege it is to see God here. A glimpse of Him in heaven below. In Christ Jesus, the pure in heart, behold the Father. We see Him. His truth, His love, His purpose, His sovereignty, His covenant character. Yea, we see Himself in Christ. But this is only apprehended as sin is kept out of the heart. Only those who aim at godliness can cry, Mine eyes have ever are ever towards the Lord. The desire of Moses, I beseech thee, show me thy glory, can only be fulfilled in us as we purify ourselves from all iniquity. We shall see him as he is, and everyone that hath this hope in him purifies himself. The enjoyment of present fellowship and the hope of beautifulistic vision are urgent motives for purity of heart and life. Lord, make us pure of heart that we shall see thee. That was a wonderful devotion. It's like, oh, great, guys. And we talked about that for a while, and I felt like the Lord wasn't quite done with it in my heart, so so we, uh, I went a little bit deeper. That devotion, by the way, is uh, I, one of them out of uh, a faith checkbook written by Spurgeon, mid to late 1800s. And it got me thinking about the eyes that God has given us. We have eyes that see visions. The Bible is filled with all sorts of eyes. Uh, it talks about warnings for the eyes. It talks about statements uh, that, that various men of God have made regarding their eyes, uh, promises that they've made. Uh, when Jesus is talking about the eyes, he says things like, pluck them out, lest they leave you to sin. If they're, if they're covetous, if they're leading you to, to lust, it's better to go through life half blind than it is to go into hell with full set of eyes. So, eyes are important. Even way back at the beginning, our eyes got us in trouble, right? Adam and Eve standing there together, I believe. Eve was right at her shoulder and, and the serpent's talking to her and and, uh, and there's a conversation that should not have happened around the location where it should not have happened. And the serpent told Eve to take the forbidden fruit so her eyes would be opened. She then looked at the tree and she saw that the fruit was that the fruit looked good to eat. And turning to her husband, they did eat and their eyes were open, but not to good and evil. Their eyes were open to their nakedness, to the separation that they should have between God and themselves. You know the rest of the story, the hiding from God and, the, and the, uh, the punishment, the curse that we all still suffer even today because of that experiment with the eyes. I'll look at the thing that I've been told not to, not to touch. I'm going to look at it. And then she, she saw that it was good to eat. And her husband didn't say anything. Hey, we were told not to do that. He didn't. So he had a punishment. You know, the psalmist makes this declaration. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Think about that statement. Right? Eve looked at something that she shouldn't have looked at, even to had a conversation about, and she took of it. And, and the work of the serpent clung to all mankind. We're still dealing with the stuff that clung to her. Much like we could go to some place and we could look at something that we're not supposed to look at, whether it be spiritually or physically, and that act of those, of those fallen men who published that garbage, or the act of a fallen group that, that put out such doctrines that, that really lead so many to hell, that work can cling to us. So that declaration is current today as any other time that the psalmist made. Uh, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. In verse 3 of that same psalm, Psalm 101, by the way, 
he says this, Open my eyes that I may behold... I'm sorry, this is out of Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Later in that same Psalm 119, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And give me life in your ways. And another Psalm, The Praise of Confession. A praise of confession. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Again, using the eyes, I'm choosing to look up there. I'm not choosing to look down here in the valley where the enemy is, is a mass before me and everything in me says I'm going to fail. I, they have too many weapons. They have too much skill. They have chariots for crying out loud. What do I have? I have a house. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking. I'm looking to the hills where my help comes from. I'm choosing. Jesus tells the, the uh, secret to purity. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. This is a matter of, of focus and, and protection. It's not, he's not talking about glaucoma. He's not talking about UV rays and the damages they can cause from bad sunglasses. He's, he's saying that if our eye is clear, if we... If we are purposing our eyes to focus on God, then we could be clear. And everything will follow after that. It's what we allow through the eye gate that takes ready residence within our heart. You know, John Bunyan, he wrote uh, another allegory. You guys are all familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress. And you're familiar with the, the, the sequel. Christiana. What is it called? Christiana, right? Oh, I should have known that. Anyway, we're, <laughs> we're familiar with those. But he also wrote another one called The, the Holy War, or sometimes it's, I've seen it lay, uh, uh, listed as the war for Mansoul. And the city there represents man, and it has five gates. And out of those five gates, he talks specifically and, and a lot about two of the gates. He says these are the two most important gates. He talks about the eye gate and the ear gate. These are the two gates that the enemy assailed the most and succeeded in taking over the city. These are the two gates that the armies carrying salvation to this man was able to enter through. The eye gate and the ear gate. But the eye gate, eye gate is what we're talking about today. It is important. You know, an animal biologist will tell you the truth of that old statement, a monkey see, a monkey do. And, a, and if a biologist was able to say that into a crowd of a bunch of people that had a bunch of uh, scientists, people with lots of letters behind their names, they, if it was a child psychologist there, or even a sociologist, they would have yelled amen. Because we see that over and over and over again in society. We see that with children. As you act a certain way, the children pick that up. Little children doing things like, where did you get that? <laughs> you do that, Daddy. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. You know, even in our own circles, it's known that what we, what we show to our children is easier caught by our children than what we teach our children. Right. So, um, and that's and and it, like I said, I felt earlier disqualified because what I was showing my children is not what I'm teaching up here, and so what are they going to learn, right? But even if there's one person in this crowd that's going to get blessed by what this has to say, uh, so be it. So that's that was my comfort when I was thinking. It's like, well, Lord, I kind of feel like I blew it, but. Uh, my children won't receive this probably because of what they saw this morning. But there might be somebody here. So just continue to pray for me, guys. <laughs> um, saved and unsaved are described in the Bible as seen or they are blind. Indeed, the whole discussion about walking in the light, the whole discussion about being in darkness, about seeing the light, all of that is, is basically using the understanding that we have eyes that we can see. The description of being in the light, being in the darkness, etc., um, one of the times that Jesus talks about why he, he came, he quoted out of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Yes, He healed physical eyes, but I think He came. What He was trying to say there is, there's several reasons I came. And he goes through all Scripture, in the, especially in the Gospels. He talks about why he came in these different little choice little bits. That, I've often thought that would be worth a study. Why did Jesus come? But out of this one statement that he said, he came so that we can see. We all walk around with blindness. I think, 
Guys, this is this is Bob Gussie doctrine. So you can toss it out the window if you want. It's not something preached I've ever heard preached up here or anybody else for that matter. But I believe that in that when you were in the womb and you were knitted together by God, you were never closer to God. I don't believe you came from some nursery up in heaven called the Naft and was sent down into a, like like the Catholics preach. I don't believe that. But what I believe is that God and you communed in the womb. I believe there was a closeness there. I believe that there was a... Of course God exists. He's making me as we speak. I believe that happened. And and I think through birth, I think through the, the curse that came down from Adam and Eve, I think we get the separation. I think He came to recover the sight to the blind. We, we are all walking around blind in different aspects. And I think He came to show us light and to recover us. Now again, you could toss that out. I, I don't necessarily know that the Spirit of God is with the baby in the womb, but I think it is. I believe it. I think it is. Um, in fact, I, I remember even praying to God in the, my wife's womb. And like, Lord, while you're in there talking to my baby, um, could you do this and this? <laughs> okay, that was a little bit too far. Uh, Isaiah says, Whoa! I, Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Even with 20-20 vision, you can be blind. Even when you know what you know what you know, you can be blind. Um, but it's what we set our eyes to that feeds the soul. It strengthens our devotion or it strengthens our flesh. What we feed our eyes will eventually rule our hearts. It's like I was thinking about drawing this up here, but I don't need to do this. Our eyes will be drawn to what our heart desires. But they influence the even drive of our hearts. If we feed them what is true and what is right and what is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, our eyes will grow in faith and, and heighten our love and intensify our relationship with God because it draws us to God. But where the eyes wander, the heart quickly follows and falls. Turn the wrong way direction in the wrong direction. It will keep us far from what we want. And we may not even acknowledge this, but if we're looking at the things of this world, we're looking elsewhere. We're not looking at God. What it can do in us is it can... Well, it's kind of like this. Your cell phone... So some cell phones catch on fire up in airplanes. Do you know why they catch on fire up in airplanes? You can't say this because you already know. But you know why some, air, some phones and laptops and uh, uh, iPads particularly that can catch on fire up in... Up in it's because they're looking for a signal. So the battery is constantly looking because it's looking for a tower, which is way out of range. So it's looking for... So the battery is constantly going and it's getting hotter and hotter. Am I right? Yeah. So it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Well... If our eyes are not turned towards truth and, and, and all the stuff that God has given us, uh, what is right, what is pure, lovely, and admirable, if it's not doing that, it's like our eyes are constantly looking for something to fulfill us. It's looking for that right thing, right? And, and it's, it's going to keep us far from truth. It's going to keep us far from fulfillment. And it's going to keep us far from peace. And Proverbs 27.20 puts it this way, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the human eyes. It's going to be looking. If you're not looking at the right thing, then it's just always going to be looking. There are so many examples of eyes in the Bible. There's so many things we could talk about there. We could talk about the eyes of the, of the Pharisees as they entered into the synagogue. Do you think they were looking for the Torah? Do you think they were looking for those people that they could bless, they could lay their hands on, they could encourage, they could teach? They, no. They went there and they were looking, and it specifically says they were looking to catch Jesus doing something wrong. The man with the withered hand. They were checking him out. Are they? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Their eyes were not pure. Their eyes were looking to catch somebody. We could talk about that. In fact, I just did. We could we could talk about some other sets of eyes that were looking how to bless or or eyes. But let's just for the sake of time, let's just kind of sum it up into three different sets of eyes, if we will, just for today's discussion. A love of the world, eyes set on on the horizon. Let's look at a love of self. These are eyes focused on ourselves and what we can get out of life. And then, of course, a pure heart, the love that a love of God, eyes set on God. First, let's look at the love of the world. In 1 John 2.15, we get this commandment, right? Everybody probably knows this by heart. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. My son just yesterday, um, one of my sons just went to a, a truck show with uh, Brother Glenn. And, and, I, and I, asked, I asked Benjamin, did you pull Brother Glenn aside and say, Brother, you're a mature man in Christ. Please tell me the secret. How do I not love the world and the things of the world when everything is so polished and chromed and, and beautiful and, and lifted up? I, I, and I'm sure Glenn would have some insights for you. And, oh, no, Dad. These are, these are, these are work trucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, but that would be a good sermon, brother. You should preach that sermon. How, how do you not love the world when you're around all the beautiful trucks? Um, <laughs> do I? Just leave it uh, if the focus of our eyes are on the here and the now, uh, the latest fads, fads, the prestige, the experiences of, that the world holds for us, um, then we are doomed to the reality that Solomon experienced, right? Ecclesiastes 1, 14 says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping after the wind. And later in chapter 2, he makes this statement. And listen to this list. This is something else, huh? I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water in the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I have greater possessions of herds and flocks than all those who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than any who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit to be had under the sun. As we focus on what this world has to offer, it becomes a prize of our labor. Did you catch that? That's important. If we focus on something, whether it be retirement or we focus on a particular type of truck or a particular type of car or a particular type of, uh, of person to get married, whatever, that becomes the reward of our labor. Wouldn't it be better to have God as the reward of our labor? If we focus on Him, uh, it's like that lesson I, I taught a long time ago to when they... Children were over children. I am so sorry. When the young adults were at my house uh, for a youth meeting, and I talked about if you if you focus on the Lord and you do everything you can, you're going to eventually at that point look to your right or your left, and you're going to see someone standing there, and that person is probably the person you want to be married more to than looking for a woman or looking for a man. It's the wrong focus because they become the reward of your labor. Your labor should be God, and what God gives you is the reward. So anyway, going on. Um, so uh, entertainment, or, or uh, uh, if comfort, if comfort is our reward, if that's what we're laboring for, then that comfort could become sleeping and a folding of our hands and just giving up to whatever course we're drifting in. Uh, entertainment can lead to more and more compromise and uncleanness. Money itself is not evil. But Paul says this to, in 1 Timothy 6.9 to a young man who may face this issue. He says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierces some through with many sorrows. John says not to love the world in the same breath as he tells us to stay away from idols. God knew that as we look at a performer that we really admire, as we look at a vehicle, as we look at vacations, as we look at each other, if we grow attached to what we see, it makes it harder and harder for us to grow attached to what we can't see. We can't see God. But we can see each other. We can see this particular performer or this particular car. or We, we see it go down the street. And, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of this. I... I Pray fervently that God would give us a sprinter. Well, he did. But 
Well, is that really high? <laughs> have you ever seen how much expensive it is to repair a Mercedes? Um, it, maybe I should have prayed for a Ford or a Yugo, <laughs> gigantic Yugo. That would have been good. Um, so it is, we, he knows that that would become an idol to us. And he says, he warns us about that in the same breath, right? That he says, love not the world. He's saying, stay away from idols. Stay away from idols. They are idols. Um, you know, one other part of looking at the world, I just want to throw this at you, is, is we used to go to a, a church that had just dynamic, charismatic worship, and there was just all this, and, and people literally were falling occasionally. They weren't, I don't want to make it, paint it that radical, but there occasionally there would be people that were slain in the spirit. There were people speaking in tongues while we were singing. There was, there was, it was just, it was just a, it was a different experience. <laughs> but it wasn't totally bad. Um, but the worship leader one time, he stopped and he, he made the statement. I'll always remember it. He says, if you're raising your hands and uh, uh, just a little bit higher than that person next to you, or if you, if you don't feel like you're raising your hands and, and the person next to you is, and all of a sudden you start raising your hand. If, if you hear someone speaking in tongues and you feel like, oh, that's what I should be doing, you're speaking in tongues. Or if you feel like, uh, you know, I really, I really feel like I should be speaking in tongues. But what is everybody else going to think about me? You know, I can't do it. I can't do it. He says, if you're following the crowd, then you're worshiping the crowd. Do you really want to worship the person in front of you? Do you want to worship the person next to you? In worship, do everything you can to focus on God. And that, and I always remember that. I don't want to worship people around me. Um, so let me get out of the way here. Let me, let me just uh, let God's word preach a sermon. You adulterous people, this is James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do not do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Second uh, Timothy 4.10 For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is John 15.19 If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things on the earth. This is Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that, by testing, that you, uh, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, good and acceptable and perfect. John 3.19, and this is the judgment, the light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. First uh, John two two seventeen and the world word uh, world passed away and the lust therefore but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, enough of that. First, uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit now about the love of self. This is eyes full of adultery. I want to say in context, uh, first or second second Peter chapter two is not talking about eyes full of adultery. Now. I'm going to preach it this way. We're going to look at it this way. But what he's saying in context is beware of these leaders who have all these following characteristics. Eyes full of adultery is one of them. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the ways of unrighteousness. Well, even even with that context warning, do you understand that that they are trained in covetous practices? They're looking. They're, they have they have eyes that are looking for one thing. The focus of these eyes are not set on God or even the pleasures of the world. There's a subtle difference here. These eyes uh, uh, we already discussed were eyes that were on their surroundings, looking for what would make them profitable or famous or connected to the world. A wrong focus because it's, those eyes are not. Uh, that those eyes are focused on others only for the sake of what it's going to do for me. It's that statement, enough talking about myself. What do you think about me? It's that, that type of eyes that we're trying to get away from. But this set of eyes is different. It's searching the land, looking for selfish pleasures, only for themselves. Now, David, I, I'm, I'm putting a lot into the story about David and Bathsheba, but I imagine David didn't go up to the rooftop to pray for those loyal soldiers who are far off in a, of another country fighting the war that he should have been in. 
I don't think David went to uh, the rooftop to look at the mighty works of God and praise him. Wow, look at those stars. Look at that beauty. I mean, he didn't have the light pollution that we have. He, he saw, like going to the back, of, back woods of Montana. It's probably just beautiful, right? He didn't, go up to have, he didn't go up to the ceiling to do that. He went up to the roof probably because he knew that he would probably get a good vantage point of people's rooftops and see what's going on. He probably went up there knowing that there was a bathtub on a house just right over there. He probably was laying in his bed thinking, I wonder if it's bath time. I wonder if that woman's there. I, I, I wonder if, if there's uh, any other women. He probably was laying in his bed thinking about those things and that led his steps. Eyes that look for sin can't stop. They're the ones that, that set a course and look for opportunities. There is a draw to pleasure and gain. And Job knew this, right? He, 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 um, he was uh, in the midst of trying to figure out what was going on. This is uh, uh, Job 31. For context, Job 31.1 is one of the best verses to memorize. That, that he had set a covenant with himself, uh, with his eyes, that he wouldn't look upon a woman with lust. So, But Job 31, verse 3 says this, He's trying to understand why, why is all these things happening to me? He says, is not, is not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood or if my foot has to, uh, hastened to seat, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned from the way or my heart walked after my eyes... Or if any spot adhered to my hands, then let me uh, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted up. He was he, Job is acknowledging that there is a direction that we'll take if our eyes are in that direction. There is a huge possibility of our hearts being turned by what we see. Keniston pointed out in his other sermon, one of my favorite favorite sermons. You all know that about me if you heard from me, but his other's sermon, uh, in that he points out that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, spirit. And love others as we love ourselves. He, he, what he points out there is that if, if you know, he says 50-50. I think it's more like 100 and somehow God makes up the rest. But if we have 50% of all of our attention on loving God and 50% of all of our attention on loving others, there's nothing left for us. That, that as you love others is not a statement or permission to love ourselves. It's acknowledging we have a love for ourselves. So instead of that, we need to be focused on God. We need to be focused on others. Um, all right. uh, have you ever seen that little promise in Psalm 31? Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope. And that word is closely related to looking. Is that anticipated, that, that uh, anticipating, it's looking over the hills. Where, where is my hope, my help come from? If you have your hope in the Lord, you have that promise. He preserves the faithful. Here's one uh, out of uh, uh, Psalm 97, verse 10. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is shown for the righteous and gladness for the up, upright in heart. You can't see that light if your eyes are purposely closed. That promise couldn't be for you if you're purposely closed. If you're closing yourself off to the Lord, your eyes are focused on darkness, you're not going to be seeing that light that preserves. You will look for what you, what you love, what you placed your heart after. If it is self and pleasure, then sin is everywhere you look, and you will find it. You know, that's why, guys, okay, everybody, but guys, that's why it's so important to have a committed Lovely relationship with the Lord if you're ever going to go on the internet to buy sneakers or to buy fishing poles. If your heart isn't focused on God, then the internet is so incredibly dangerous because if your heart is like, what possibility of sin might be out there for me to find? Well, let's just not focus on the internet. How about going shopping at Walmart? If your heart is looking for sin, you'll find it there. What about walking down the street or driving down the street? If your heart is focused on sin, you'll see it there. It doesn't have to be a lustful thing. It can be a judgmental thing. You can be judging people as you're going, oh, well, there she goes again. You know, you can have that judgment that's a sin before God. It's gross. It's darkness. You know, even going to church, if, you're, if your eyes are set on sin, 
you will find it in church. Whether it be judgment, whether it be the way that people are dressed, whether it be the translation that the guy is, who's up here um, uh, reading and trying his heart best out to do, uh, well, it's a translation that this offends you. You will find sin wherever you go if you're looking for sin. Right? So stop thinking that uh, stop stop the thinking that gives over to self. This is fantasy. This is this is the laying in bed, David thinking about that that uh, bathtub that was on the other porch next door. Um, stop giving over to that type of fantasy. If you set your personal radar on sin, be assured that you will find it. Place a guard over your thoughts and do not allow do not allow an internal conversation. I don't know if you guys have those. I have those all the time. Does that surprise anybody? I have internal conversations all the time with myself. I'm not crazy. Really. But I have these internal conversations. Don't have an internal conversation that God wouldn't feel safe being there. That God wouldn't feel comfortable sitting there at the table in your mind as you discuss things. You know, one of my favorite verses, and I didn't write it down, and I should, I, oh man, why didn't I? What an opportunity for a verse I could give you chapter and verse, and I can't right now. Ah, it's 3 John. It's in 3 John somewhere. A little tiny. You can find it yourself. But it says in one of the translations, I think it's NIV. Again, don't be offended. I think it's NIV. It says, um, uh, don't practice evil. Don't practice evil. If you walk around practicing a conversation that you should have had or a conversation you're going to have that lifts up yourself, that's practicing evil. Rather, walk around practicing good. What can I do to humble myself here? But, uh, et cetera. Anyway, practicing evil. Don't have that internal conversation going on that God wouldn't feel welcome to partake in. Again, let me get out of the way. Let the Bible preach. Galatians chapter 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Galatians five nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, 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 contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions, uh, uh, desertions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, uh, reverie, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in the past times, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are all self-focused. Their love of self. And he said to all, this is uh, Luke chapter 9, Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 again. This is 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will, uh, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, uh, uh, heartless, unappreciative, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, or, yeah, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power, avoid such people. And lastly, Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goeth before destruction, and a high spirit before before a fall. I hope all of those you understand are a connection with eyes that are focused on me, my the love of me. Let's let's go through here. Let's talk about this love of God, pure heart, a pure heart. Now, I just looked this up. I couldn't believe it. Actually, I thought maybe it'd be more money. But let me just tell you this: the most expensive fish that has been sold recently. Uh, was four hundred thousand dollars about this long? It's pure white. It's called a. Uh, 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 it's a metal. It's a precious metal. Platinum. Um, it's called a platinum arowana. Four hundred thousand dollars. Four hundred thousand dollars. More money than my sprinter. Four hundred thousand dollars. That is an expensive amount. Of, if you were to spend four hundred thousand dollars for a fish, I dare say you would have the cleanest fish tank to put it in. You would have the most purified water that you could possibly get. You would get the best on the market filter that you could possibly find. You would check the pressure of the pump that pushes the water through the filter to make sure that it's set at the exact P, uh, uh, PSI, right? PSI to go through that filter in just such a way to clean whatever is in that water to keep that fish healthy. 
It's an investment, $400,000, right? You paid a lot of money for this fish. You want to make sure everything is perfect for this fish. Well, how much more important is it that the atmosphere of our heart is kept pure? If, if the, one of the main avenues of our heart is our eyes, then the things we focus on, the books we read, the, uh, uh, the entertainers that we, that we hopefully don't watch, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, any, the conduct of each other, we want to make sure that we're around people who follow God with a whole heart. They're intentionalists. We don't want to be around sloppy Christians, lest we become sloppy. We, we want the atmosphere of our heart to be absolutely as pure as possible because decisions come from the throne in our chest. And if that throne in our chest isn't given over to God, but it's given over to things of this world or ourselves, then, then we're not going to see God. That's the secret to that verse. Only the pure in heart shall see God. Well, that's why. If our heart is so cluttered with pollution, then it's going to be hard to see that, right? As Spurgeon said earlier, how can those men see a holy God who love unholy things? The eye gate set on God and His kingdom will see the purity and the righteousness that He has placed around us. Eyes so set will see sin and the opportunity to sin as damaging, not opportunities. Eyes so set will, will see from afar that sin and know to stay clear from it lest it ruin the current environment that the heart that's been turned over to God is sitting in. And if Paul tells Timothy, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be vessels of honor, sanctified, set apart for a holy purpose, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Make your vessel, your body, and your body of understanding, your body of belief, your body of experience so clean that you can be used, is what he's saying there. That He can pour His purpose into you. Your eyes directed to the path chosen. Now, I, I got a small little illustration here. Let me say this real quickly. If you're, this is for Benjamin. Where is he? All right, this is, if you're, if you're in pursuit of a hot criminal, right? You're, you're in pursuit of a hot criminal and you're going through a forest and you're coming down this trail and you know this criminal, you can't see him, but you know this criminal has gone down this path before you and you're at a fork in the road and you gotta make a decision. Do I go to the right or the left? Well, to the right there is a waterfall. I haven't seen a waterfall like that before. Does that even matter to you? It only matters to you if that is the path that he went on. But you know that the criminal didn't go there because you see footprints over here. You don't see footprints over here. And so you're, you're judging these clues and you're looking. There's dew that has fallen off of the leaves on this side. There's dew all over these leaves. I know he hasn't gone through here. There's a cobweb over here. There's no cobweb over here. You're looking for those little tiny clues to pursue somebody. Well, what clues do we look like for God? Can we do that? Can we, can we pursue God? Can we pursue holiness in our life? Can we look for the clues? Not for what is enjoying an enjoyment to us. To me, I want to go see that waterfall. I want to go sit over there. I want to go. I want to go read a book over there. That looks like such a nice place to read. Well, there's a time to read. There's a time to go look at a waterfall. Hopefully, we get to see one later today. I don't know, but there's a time for that. But right now, if your pursuit in life is holiness, if your pursuit in life, if your eyes are set on God, if you're focused on that, then it doesn't matter what's down that fork. What matters is what you're pursuing, and I'm pursuing this. I said of the Lord, offer up scary prayers. They pray things like this. Search my heart, O Lord, and see if there be any iniquity in it. Teach me your paths, Lord. That's a scary one. Because when you're taught, you're held accountable. Here's another one. Open my eyes to see you. Show me thy greatness. And I could tell you a story about a guy who did that. And, and, and he was never the same after that prayer. Fill me with your spirit. That's a scary prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. You remember who prayed that, right? That's Jesus. Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. Break me. There's a scary prayer. Crucify all the fleshly within me. 
If your eyes are set on God, you can truly, with reality, pray those prayers. Paul's eyes were on the Lord when he admitted that, it, that you know, to die is the gain. But God wants me here for you guys. I'll just stick around for a while. You know, it was John on the island of Patmos. He could have been complaining. Why? I'm a disciple. I've seen Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. Why am I out here in this island all by myself? What's up with that? His eyes wasn't on his flesh. He wasn't on the world. He wasn't, he wasn't wishing he was with his friends. He was there going, okay, God, I'm here. What, what do you have? And he had the revelation pour down on him. His eyes were focused on God. The disciples, most of the disciples, except for John, were, were martyred. Some of them skinned alive. You can't have eyes on your flesh. You can't have eyes on the world if, if all you have to do is deny Christ, but instead of that, your skin is ripped from your body. You ever had a hangnail? Come on. But listen, we're not, at this point, we are not called upon to be boiled in oil, skinned alive, thrown to wild animals. We're not called upon that. For our eyes to be focused on God to the point where we deny ourselves, all we have to do is receive that juicy bit of gossip and not spread it. Go to Walmart and go to the aisle that doesn't have those magazines. Go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant and not load up on your fourth plate. Okay, third. You know, we, all we have to do to deny our flesh is these small things that only happen if our eyes are on Him, not Eyes on what's available. Eyes on what could be available. What's over there? You know, that could be, I could see something if I just happen to drive that way home rather than drive straight home. If our eyes are on God, all of that's regardless. That's just silliness because I want to go down the path of what I'm pursuing. Okay, so I'm at the end, but this is perfect timing because, again, I want to get out of the way. I'm just going to let the Bible preach to us. This morning, listen to these verses. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. First John 4, 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. First Peter 3.15 But keep the Lord Christ holy in your hearts. Always be ready to answer anyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. But answer them in a gentle way with respect. Keep your conscience clear. Then people will see the good way you live as followers of Christ, and those who say bad things about you will be ashamed of what they have said. Therefore, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, crowd of witnesses, or cloud, sorry, of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That was Hebrews 12. Here's uh, 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 4. This is Ephesians 1, 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know that it is the hope to which he has called you. Uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him to the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Here's Psalm 147. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Philippians 3, 13, 14. Brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling in God in Christ Jesus. Again, Philippians 3. And here's, here's my favorite one. Here's my favorite one that I'll just let preach itself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Father, You have made our bodies. You have made our hands to grab, our feet to walk. Lord, You made our organs to function. Lord, You gave us a heart. You gave us a brain. Uh, and there's reasons for all of those things. Today we chose to focus on your gift of our eyes, whether they be physical or whether they be spiritual. Lord, we want to commit these to you. We want to, we want to say, Lord, I have blown it. I have used my eyes for the wrong things. I have focused on things that are not of you, of the world. Uh, I have looked at uh, of my own, my own self. I have focused my attentions on me. But Lord, what I want, what I want, Lord, is an eye that's so focused on you that none of that stuff means anything to me anymore. That, Lord, my heart would be pure, that I could cash in that that promise, that check that you've written in your word to me. I could cash that in right now, dated today, Lord, that I would be able to see you and the purity that you've given me to be able to see you. Father, cleanse us from all iniquity. Purify us from all wrong. And help us, Lord, to be able to be righteous, to be able to have that promise of being able to see you. Because, God, we need you. We need to see you. We need to have you in every decision, in every thought, every conversation, every relationship we have. We need you. And we're not going to have that, Lord, if we're looking at and focusing on on holy things. In Jesus' name. I personally commit that I will not set any unworthy thing before my eyes. I will not let the work of the fallen cling to me. Oh, but God, (laughs) we all declare right now that we want to set before us your word. We want to set before you your works. We want to set before you, uh, before our own eyes, Lord, the things that you're about, that it would cling to us and that we would be excited about what you're doing. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. Thank you for your time.